0: Go ahead and stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 4. Um, We stand out of respect for God's word each week because we want to be reminded of its authority in our lives. So let me read for us Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person church, hear the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we look at this short text, and there's so much there for us in our day and age. There's so much there for us in our lives. I pray this morning that uh, as I share what I feel like you've laid upon my heart, Lord, I pray that I will decrease and you increase. Uh, I know that I'm not sufficient to be able to communicate these things, um, but we trust in your spirit, not in eloquence. We trust in you to speak to us through your word, not in our ability to preach great sermons. And so, Lord, I ask and pray uh, that uh, you would help us to push away distractions, that we would focus our attention in the next few minutes upon what you might have for us in regards to this command in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us and that you would move us to a deeper obedience and a deeper faithfulness as your people. I ask these things in your name, amen. Church, go ahead and have a seat. So you can probably tell from the beginning of this text where we're headed in terms of what the topic of the discussion is today, which is the idea of time. Now, I think that's an interesting topic, especially in our day and age, because my guess is very few of us in this room would say, you know what? I have an abundance of time in my life. I'm always looking for something to do. Most of us are constantly probably feeling the press and the busyness of our lives, that there's always something going on. And part of what I think is so interesting about this text is it's really easy for us in the year 2022 to think, oh man, life is just so crazy. It's not always been like that. But here, Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the first century who apparently were struggling with the same temptation, which was to not make the best use of their time. And so I love that the, the, the challenges that we face today are very much the same challenges that the people of God have faced throughout history, amen? Like, it makes me feel better about myself, I guess, right? Uh, and, and that Paul is bringing this command with this idea that he wants us to engage our time to a specific purpose, and he's pointing us to that, to be intentional with our time to a specific purpose. And so I want to talk today about time, and I want to start by talking about the priorities of our Time. And when we read this text, and Paul says he wants us to make the best use of our time, similar to last week, the Greek word that's used in that is is much more specific and is much more aggressive than this kind of general passive idea of just, oh, just make the best use of time. Like it's one Greek word. In essence, what it means is Paul is wanting us to redeem the time in our lives. And not in a liberating sense. But in a sense of taking that time and snatching that time back to use it and to wield it for a particular purpose. It's the idea of taking time by the horns and using it to engage something very, very specific. Now, that's crazy because a lot of us, when we think about time, we think about time as something that we just kind of, we're at the mercy of time. Like we we don't never never have enough of it. We're just at the mercy of it all the time. And it's kind of this idea of the dog or the dog being moved by the tail or the dog wagging the tail the other way around. I can't remember. Anyway, you know what I'm saying, all right? You know that analogy. So it's that idea that time kind of dictates to us what we do and how we live our lives. But that's not what Paul is saying. For Paul, his view is to not see ourselves at the mercy of time, but to see and envision our lives as taking hold of time and using it for some very specific things, bending it to some very particular ends. Now, if you're like me, You hear this and your first thought is like, oh no. Like I'm gonna get pressed on how I use my time and in my own life right now I can say, I don't don't feel like I have enough time. So let's talk and let's consider our time. We know that there are seven days in a week and there's 24 hours in each day. Now that means that each of us in this room has 168 hours every single week. Every one of us, like that's the same. And it's been that way, by the way, just in case we know, it's been that way since the first century, right? So the people in the first century also had about 168 day hours per week. It's the same life. And I'm going to contend in the next few moments that time and the amount of it in that 168 hours is not really, or the lack of it is not really our problem. So here's what I mean, mom, let me, let me help you just give this illustration, I want to introduce you to Herbert. Now if your name's Herbert in this room, I'm sorry. This is not intended to reflect you, all right? But think about Herbert as an example of your own life. Now, Herbert has 168 hours of his life just like you do and just like I do. Now, here's what we know. The vast majority of us, we would like to say that maybe we get eight hours of sleep every night. Now, I know that doesn't happen for the vast majority of us, but nonetheless, let's just say Herbert gets eight hours of sleep every night. Let's also say that Herbert goes to work for eight hours a day, six days a week. Okay? So if you do that, Herbert is left with 64 hours. Now, what does Herbert do with those 64 hours? Now, we know most of our lives, if we think about our lives, what happens is we just see all of the different opportunities and options in our world to start plugging into that 64 hours. And we all know what that looks like, right? Like there's soccer, there's soccer games, there's, there's basketball, there's Netflix. That was my best view of Netflix, right? Um, I hope I don't get in trouble for that, right? Copyright. There's eating. That's supposed to be a plate full of food, steak and macaroni, I guess. I don't know. But there's Facebook, there's TikTok, there's all of these different things in our lives. There's mowing the lawn and doing the dishes and taking care of our, our houses and, and our worlds and everything that's going on. And then there's the church, right? And there's this mass kind of smorgasbord of all these options that Herbert just tries to engage in. And we know what happens in this kind of chaos of our day, all these things just start coming at us and we just do them and we don't have much of a choice, but there's kind of this tyranny of the urgent kind of moment in our lives And there's a lot of things that ends up outside of that 64 hours a week that we think we have. And so we start to feel like there's just not enough time. And we say it all the time. Hey, would you help out with this? Oh, I'd love to, but I just... I just don't have enough time. Hey, uh, would you wanna come over to our house and hang out and spend some time? Well, I'd love to, but there's just not enough time. Hey, would you do this class at church? Oh, I'd love to, I need that, but there's just not enough time. And we feel that way, don't we? Am I the only one? I think most of us feel that way. But let me ask you a question. Is time really Herbert's problem? I don't think time is Herbert's problem. Let me illustrate why I think that. What is gonna happen to Herbert feeling pressed for time if a water main in his house breaks. What's going to happen to Herbert's time? Well, first of all, we know everything else goes away real fast. Best picture I could draw of a water tank blowing up or a water line, right? Like everything goes out of time, out of time in just a minute, and Herbert panics. You ever felt that? Herbert panics, and suddenly, out of nowhere, Herbert is able to find 10 or 12 hours to pull up his carpet, to call the insurance company, to find a restoration company, to get a wet vac, to call some neighbors to help him. And isn't it amazing that Herbert suddenly finds all the time in the world to deal with the water main part? And yet, the world doesn't fall apart on Herbert because he simply spends that 10 hours. This literally happened to me last week. I think God was trying to teach me this lesson. I got home from church, and our kitchen sink was backed up. I literally spent the next, well, the rest of Sunday into Monday trying to figure out how to get our kitchen sink unclogged, changing the garbage disposal, doing all the kinds of things. Because, by the way, it happened to be on Memorial Day weekend where there's no plumbers in the city of Wichita that want to do anything. Sorry if you're a plumber. I get it. We all need a break. So I get it, but here's the thing. I had a lot of plans on Memorial Day weekend. I had a lot of things I wanted to do, but guess what? I moved them all away. And I did what needed to be done in that moment. See, the issue is, it isn't time that's the problem. Oftentimes though, we're just not willing to admit that the real problem is, is that we have a priority issue. There's still only 168 hours. But in this circumstance, Herbert snatched up time to deal with the problem that was in front of us in front of him. Most of us just aren't willing to admit that it's not that we don't have enough time, it's that what we do with our time actually reflects our priorities. Now, that's a hard thing for us to see. See, the truth of the matter is, most of the time when we say, "I just don't have enough time to do X." y or z what we really should be saying is i don't want to do x y or z at least i don't want to enough to rearrange other things in my life i don't want to enough to make that the priority of my life i don't want to change things enough that's not important enough for me to actually do anything different and here's how we know that because when something like the water paint line breaks we can change all things kinds of things around the issue isn't time it's the lack of priority that we put to our time. As Christians, as people of God, what we're being called to do in this text is to take time and use it to prioritize first, to take times by the horn, time by the horns, and wield it to an end in which we want to accomplish some specific things and priorities that we want to set. Listen, I know, this does not mean that there's never gonna be a moment where you can't legitimately say, I don't have time to do something. Like, that's not what we're trying to do here, right? So just free yourself of that, guilt. We're always gonna have those seasons and those moments where we legitimately don't have time to do something. But what we should be doing is coming in our week, that 168 hours and saying, what am I going to do to take hold of that 168 hours? And to what end am I going to put it to this is what Paul says he says in this text conduct yourselves what wisely conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders making the best use of our time so what Paul is saying is he's saying look at how much time you have and walk in a wise way conduct yourself in a wise way now what is wise conduct How do we know what a wise way to engage our lives actually is? Well, to answer that question, we have to know what the goal or the agenda is for our time. So let me give you an example of this. If I had the goal today after church to go home and to build a deck in my backyard... And I have all the tools necessary and I have some basic knowledge as to how to use those tools and how to build a deck and I've got wood or composite or whatever I want to build a deck out of and it's all there and I go home ready to build. My, my goal and my agenda for that day and that time is to build the deck. Now, what if... I go home with all that knowledge and I sit down and I begin to look at instructions and think about how I'm going to do that. And I take my hammer and I begin to notice that there's an anthill sitting next to me. And so I decide to start smashing ants with my hammer for the next 15 minutes. Is that a wise use of my time? No. Even if I want to get rid of ants, that's not an efficient way to do it. So that's not a wise way to use my time. But Here's why that's not a wiser way to use my time because that's not my goal for the day. My goal is not to use the hammer to kill the ants. My goal is to build a deck. So, understanding what our goals are, understanding what our agendas are in our lives, our purpose are in our lives, is absolutely vital for us to understand how to walk wisely, how to walk with wise conduct. We need to know the goal, we need to know the tools. We need to then use those tools with wisdom because having knowledge isn't enough. Wisdom is the application of knowledge in an appropriate way. We have to take hold of that purpose. So how important is this? I wanna look at these components for just a moment. First, the agenda and goal. Who sets your goals and your agendas for your day? When you wake up in the morning, And you know you've got 24, well, not full 24 hours, right? Because we subtracted eight hours of that. So you've got 16 hours in the day, in theory, to use to do whatever you want. Who sets your goals and your agendas? Is it you? Is it the tyranny of the urgent? In other words, you just, whatever bad happens, you just have to deal with it. Is it your boss at work? Is it your spouse? Like, is it the world? Does the world set your goals for the day? Now here's a deeper deeper question. Does Satan set your goals for the day? See, shouldn't it be the almighty, holy, wise God who we have declared as Lord over our lives who sets our goals? Shouldn't it be him who sets our agenda? See, if you want to act wisely or conduct yourself wisely with the amount of time that you have, you have to know what the goal is for that day. Paul believes that's the case. And we remember at the very beginning of Colossians, he tells the people there that the goal is to see the gospel continue to bear fruit in the lives of the people of Colossae as well as continue to bear fruit into the world. That they may know Jesus. That they may live in a way that is pleasing to Jesus. Not in a way that's pleasing to themselves. Not in a way that's pleasing to the world. But in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. So in other words... Jesus sets the goals. This is God's agenda for our lives, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, for you and for me, to live a life pleasing to him. So if that's true, what are the tools that we have to do this? If God's goal is to see the gospel go out and him to be glorified, what are the tools that he has at his disposal? Well, he has a lot, but the ones he chooses to use are us you and me. We are the tools of the kingdom of God. Like this is what He has ordained, that he, his, his church would be the ones that would take the gospel out, that would bear fruit into the world and into the lives of the people that are around us. We talked about, or Ryan mentioned Pentecost and how Pentecost was that beginning moment of the church where they were empowered by the spirit of God and they went out into the first century world and just changed everything by the power of the spirit of God in them. They went out and they bore fruit. Brothers and sisters, this is the same goal we have. You know it hasn't changed in 2,000 years, right? It hasn't gone away. This is still God's goal. We are the means to his end. This is what he's chosen for each and every one of us in our purposes. Everything for him. Remember Colossians chapter 3, verse 17? We do everything for his name's sake. Everything, not some things, but everything. We are the tool. Our time which he, by the way, is the one that graciously gives to us our time, our time and ourselves, we are the tool. And we are called to walk wisely in understanding what that is for us. Wisdom is knowing God's goal and agenda and understanding that we are the means of accomplishing that goal and snatching up our time in ways that is pleasing to him to this end. Not to our end, but to his end. So, I think the challenge, though, oftentimes for us is that we can be really, really tempted, at least I know I can, to hold on to our own agendas, to our own goals. Which, more often than not, is to find fulfillment in this life right here, right now. Everything we have, oftentimes in our lives, is seen as a tool to accomplish greater comfort, greater fulfillment, greater pleasure a retirement one day, and our goals become not the Lord's goals, but our goals become the world's goals. And even in the moments where we do have a moment to rest, we say, well, that's my time. Is any of your time your time? None of your time is your time. It's all his time. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's what it means to call him Lord of our lives. As we say, it's not our time anymore. It's your time. We don't get to say, this is my time to just rest and relax and to, to pursue my hobbies and, and sports and TV and social media. How much of our days are wasted on these things? And, and listen, please don't mishear me. I, I'm not saying never watch a Chiefs game again. I'm going to watch a Chiefs game again, Right? But we're talking about priorities. And I get it. Not all these things are bad. Not even all of them are selfish. Sometimes we look at our lives and our kids and we say, like, I spend my life for my kids so that they can have success and they can have opportunities and they can have fun and pleasure. Well, listen, parents, let me just talk to you for a second. If you set an example for your kids that, the, that their purpose and that To succeed in life means for them to get a high-paying job, to have a big family, to have a nice house and a nice car. Let me just tell you something. You're forming them in the world's view of success, not God's. And guess what you're going to get with your kids? You're going to get kids that pursue those things. Like how you use your time is going to form your kids and going to form the people that are around you. And we want to have God's agenda in all of these things, walking in wisdom. Now, I get it. All of us can begin really fast to start justifying ourselves. Well, I I go to church on Sunday, and I even go to a house church meeting on Wednesday night. That's good enough. But remember, God wants all of our time, not some of our time. This isn't how it should be. We are to take hold of all of our time and dictate what we do with it to the things that please the Lord. Absolutely, this means loving your family. Absolutely, this means building relationships with your kids. Absolutely, it means spending time together. But Paul reminds us of a group that oftentimes gets left out in our equations, doesn't he? What does he say? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Towards towards who? You can just back to me, by the way. Towards who? They're outside of what? The kingdom of God, right? So there's only two groups of people. There's those inside the kingdom of God, and then there's those outside the kingdom of God. And Paul is telling us, he's saying, like, walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time. See, for us to be truly faithful to God's agenda, Paul is reminding us that we need to keep in our view those who, not only, who are not inside of the kingdom of God. Specifically, we are to use our speech to further the kingdom of God, to further God's goals, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. If you've bought into this idea that you can share the gospel, but only when necessary used words, you're not walking wisely. Because the gospel requires proclamation. Uh, listen, I'm not saying be a jerk. You should be loving, you should be kind, you should be gentle, you should be patient, you should be the most uh, g- kind or grateful people, the best workers, but that needs to be tied to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say this only for the gifted evangelist. We know that there's those people. This is for every single one of us. We are to always let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, always ready to answer each person. Seems to open up a whole realm of possibilities for us. So I want to get practical. What if we all said we want to be faithful to this. We want to make the best use of our time towards outsiders of the church. What does that look like for us specifically? Well, let's go back to Herbert. Let's look at his 160 hours. So we know now how, how does this going to play out in his life? You notice that there's not just this chaos of all these options out there, but he is going to try to snatch his time and use it and to actually engage things for God's purposes. So Herbert still needs to sleep, still need to sleep. But what if you gave up an hour of sleep, either on the back end or the front end? Some of y'all are not morning people, some of you are night people, that's okay. Uh, look at David Mann, and he likes to stay up till like four in the morning doing things, right? So some of you are like that, some of you are like me, you like to get up at four um, and, and read the Bible, right? So here's my thing, what if you sacrificed a little bit of sleep for the sake of the word of God? And why is that important? Because if you wanna know his agenda, what do you need in your life to engage his will and to understand his will for you? You need his word. And so what if Herbert says, sleep is important, but I'm also gonna put his word as a priority in my life, either before or after. And, and, and Herbert's still gotta to go to work, right? Like, we gotta provide for our family, so that goes into the category. And that goes into the priorities of what we do. Now, here's the thing. Is Herbert's time at work a complete waste of time? Is it only meant to provide for the needs of his family? Or can Herbert even take his time at work and snatch that and wield that for the sake of the kingdom of God, right? So in understanding this, and this is my best version of of the world, it's the idea of mission. Mission and a purpose covers all of it. And so while Herbert goes to work, Herbert says, I'm gonna start leveraging my time at work for the sake of the kingdom of God. So when I'm talking with my buddies at the water cooler, which I don't even, do we even have those anymore? Um, Anyway, you get the idea, the microwave, while you're hanging out with your buddies at the microwave in the break room, like, are you sharing things about God? Are you talking about what God has done in your life? Are you inviting them uh, to engage in conversations about spiritual things? Are you looking at non-believers in your workplace and are you saying, hey, you know what? I know you're an atheist. I know you don't like Christianity. I know you don't like God, but I would love to go through a Discovery Bible study with you just for like six or seven weeks, 10 weeks, whatever that looks like. Well, we can just gather together and just read some things and you have an opportunity to have all kinds of questions uh, about the Bible. Could could Herbert use his workplace for that? You say, I don't know how to do a Discovery Bible study. Um, Well, we have a great plan for Discovery Bible Study is out at Info Central. You can do this as easy as anybody else. It doesn't take anything but opening up the Word of God with the texts that are on this and and just asking questions. I joke with Lewis. We were in his office the other day talking about house churches, and he said, it's so easy. A caveman could do it. And I was like, yes, it is. We can all do this. You just lead people through the Word of God. And your goal is not to convert them. Your goal is to introduce them to who? Jesus. So Herbert can leverage his time at work. He can do that. But Herbert's got to eat too. So Herbert's got to put food. But can our meal times even be leveraged for the kingdom of God? Can they? As you sit down with your kids, are you talking about what God's done in your day? Are you asking them what they're learning about the Lord? Are you asking them how they're trying to be faithful in their own lives? Are you inviting people into your home during those mealtimes to share the gospel with them? Here's a big idea. What if you actually didn't eat on purpose so that you could pray? You know, there's, the Bible has a term for that, it's called fasting. And it's part of what Christians should do because we understand what we're here to do and so we wanna snatch time We want to use time for good things, for prayer. Herbert's got to mow the lawn. He's got to do all those things. Can you even leverage that? What if, instead of putting your earbuds in while you're mowing the lawn or cleaning the house or doing the dishes or whatever it is that you're doing, and instead of listening to the next podcast on the most conservative news program that you've got, what if you took the earbuds out and you actually prayed while you mowed? You prayed while you did the dishes. You prayed for your spouse. You prayed for your friends. You prayed for your kids. You prayed for the lost. You can snatch that time, brothers and sisters, but you have to do it intentionally. Herbert says being with the people of God is important. I need to be around the people of God. I want to go to church. That's a priority in my life, which means you're going to have to say some things have to go away potentially for that. And it is, listen, I put the soccer ball up here because there's still time for doing fun things and engaging in those types of things. But the reality of it is, when we order our lives' priorities first, things are going to end up on the outside, aren't they? What's so sad is so often we don't take the time to snatch the time up for ourselves and actually order it and use it. We just do whatever comes. And so we end up wasting a ton of time with this gesture. Anybody else? where you find yourself just scrolling for hours on end. Listen, brothers, this is so important for us to understand how it is and what Paul is actually calling us to do with our time. I want to get really personal here for just a second. And I know this is hard because this is a challenge for a lot of us in this world. The world doesn't want your life to look like this with its priorities, you know that? You know Satan does not want your life to look like this in terms of its priorities? You know what he would rather have? He would rather have in that kind of order a whole lot of other priorities that are worldly and ungodly. And he's gonna, he's gonna deceive us by making them look like they're really, really good things. So for example, well, I can't prioritize church because My kids' sports team has a tournament on Sundays. Brothers and sisters, what are you telling your kids about the people of God, the Word of God, and church if that is your priority? Is that hard? That's hard. Because it may mean that your kid misses out on a tournament. But let me ask the question, as a parent, which do you want for them the most? Do you want them to win the tournament, or do you want them to be formed in the likeness of Jesus? You can say all day long that God is the priority of your life, but they're going to learn what you do, not what you say. They're going to learn what you do, not what you say. And it's not just with church, it's with Bible study, and it's with prayer, and it's with all of these different things. Church, Paul is telling us to conduct ourselves wisely toward a specific end, towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. Are we doing that? Now, here's the reality of it. Even as I think about this in my own life, like I realize there's barriers to this. There is barriers to faithfulness in our lives, isn't there? There's barriers for it. Have you thought about those barriers? Have you talked about the barriers with your spouse or your friends or your family members? It's important for us to see the barriers so that they don't sneak up on us. So let me share some of my barriers to walking in faithfulness. I think they'll probably resonate with you. The first one is fear. It is really scary to be different as a Christian, isn't it? It is really scary to talk to somebody about Jesus. Can we just be honest with that? And maybe it's just me. It's scary every time. And my fear oftentimes will want to keep me from doing what is right because I'm afraid of what someone's going to think of me. I'm going to think of, I'm afraid of getting rejected. I'm afraid of being seen as the weird, Christian, crazy kook man, right? Because all he wants to do is talk about Jesus all the time. Like, this is a real, this is a real thing for us. And it's a barrier for us. times, think of a, a quote, and I don't know where it came from, but it's the idea that courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's doing what is right in the face of fear. Will we be courageous people? I genuinely think fear is always going to be there for us. Just a few weeks ago, uh, I wanted to give a book to a non-believer. Uh, and, I, I, and, and, and as I was thinking about doing it, as I was praying about it, I had the book, and I was ready to go up and give it to him. And I was praying that God would use it. And the whole time, I was kind of in the back of my head going, I hope he's not here today. I hope he's not here today. All right? Because I was afraid of doing it. And, and then I saw him, I was like, Oh, he's here today. Okay, I've got to be faithful. And while I'm doing it, like I, he's around people all the time, and I'm like, couldn't he just be alone for a minute so I don't have to stick myself out there? And it's fearful, and I was sweating and I was nervous, but I gave him the book anyway. But there's been a lot of times I haven't. So fear becomes a barrier for us. We need to be honest about our fears, and we need to encourage one another and support one another in those fears. Again, parents, there will be nothing more forming to your kids than telling your kids, I am terrified to tell this cashier about Jesus and then watch you do it anyway. They will be formed by such things. The next barrier is that it's hard. It is way easier in my life, and frankly, it feels a lot better to my flesh to just be undisciplined with my time. You know those little bits of time that, that are all over the place for us? It's way easier for me to fill those little bits with things I like. A little YouTube video there. A little social media scroll here. A little Amazon shopping over here. Right? Like, it's just easier. It is hard to order my life. It's hard to not... It's hard to pray instead of play. Especially for a while. Like this stuff doesn't come natural to us. It's hard to snatch up our time for any real end. And you know what? People are going to judge you for it. People will potentially make fun of you for it. The next thing that's hard is that it requires delayed gratification. Obedience to the Lord in this way, living this way, is satisfying but it's not immediately satisfying. Sometimes it takes weeks, months, even years before the Lord begins to pour in you fruits and you see the joy and the, the, the satisfaction in those things. And personally, I prefer immediate gratification. Can we just be honest with it? I hope I'm not alone. If I am, I I mean, maybe that's just my own challenge, but I way prefer immediate gratification and immediate gratification is everywhere, isn't it? Our society is built upon immediate gratification. Get what you want now, make yourself fulfilled now, be who you are now, be authentic to your own self, gratify what's inside of you. No, no, we are to die to our flesh. And this is a huge barrier for us, it's a huge barrier in my own life. The biggest barrier to faithfulness, if I'm just totally honest, is myself. I love me. I really do. The whole world tells me that I'm the most important thing in my own life. The whole world tells me that everything should be about satisfying my flesh and about getting pleasure. whole world tells me that all the time. And I love myself. And myself is always going to get in the way of doing what God wants me to do. Because what God wants me to do always requires dying to who? Myself. Now, Here's the negative components. These are barriers to faithfulness, but what about the keys to faithfulness? If we want to live faithfully, not only do we understand some of the barriers, but we also need to recognize in ourselves, how can we try to do that well? How about first and foremost, you take intentional effort to take the bits of time by the horns. So for example, when you're driving home from work, instead of putting on the radio, what are you gonna do with that time? How can you snatch that time that five, 10, 15 minutes to pray for your kids, to pray for your coworker, to pray about what happened that day. What about in the grocery store? Instead of looking at Facebook and while you're standing in line, you look at the face of the person that's in front of you, you look at the face of the person that's helping you, and you pray for them, and you be open to what God might have for you that day in that moment. Like, take opportunities in those little bits of moment instead of scrolling for endless times. What about memorizing the scripture? Or calling a friend and encouraging them. Or texting a friend and encouraging them. Take hold of those bits of time for the sake of the gospel and for the kingdom of God. We can do that. Next, schedule your priorities. My home, oftentimes, we can be really bad at this. We're trying to get better. But we find that if we take time to schedule things they actually happen. If we don't schedule it, what happens is we say the whole, oh, it'd be really nice to do this. Or it'd be really nice to go over here and talk to this family or have this family over. It'd be really nice. But guess what? We never get around to it. We have to schedule it. And it's really hard to do that. We have to make a calendar. So make a calendar. Schedule time with the church. Schedule time with your friends. Schedule time with non-believers. Schedule time to be with your family. Schedule time for the church. And you block it out and say, this is the priority. If you put your schedule down on paper, your priorities will become very evident very quickly. And it can make us feel very uncomfortable. Schedule your priorities Next, find community for encouragement. Because this is really hard, you need people in your life to support you, to encourage you. This is why I love our Gospel Life classes. This is why house churches are so important. Because as you say, I wanna reach out to John Doe and I wanna share the gospel with him. They can pray for you, but they can encourage you and say, hey, have you gone out to lunch with John Doe yet? Oh no, I haven't done that. Man, you need to get that on your calendar. And we can be around each other and do what the Scripture calls us to do, which is to stir one another up to good works. Brothers and sisters, that is not going to happen in a space this large. You have to be with other brothers and sisters in your life, spurring you on, stirring you up, encouraging you, not just to be more moral, but to be more purposeful. Amen? So find a community for encouragement. Next, keys to faithfulness. Prioritize love. No human being that you ever meet should be a project to convert. They are souls that God has called us to love. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. You are to love those people even if they never come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that may take years, brothers and sisters. We're to love them. They're not our projects. We're not to just come in and say some quick gospel presentation with a track and then leave. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but I am saying we are to build relationships and to love the people that we are around. We don't do this out of duty. We don't do it out of uh, an effort to just check the box so that we can be right with God. We prioritize love because he prioritized love in us. Love those around you deeply and genuinely. And then finally, brothers and sisters, we have to speak. Part of wise conduct and making the best use of your time is tied to speaking the good news. And I already said that earlier, but speaking about God, speaking about his son, speaking about the Holy Spirit, he is the best news that we could ever give anybody. And he is the only thing that anybody needs. Christ is sufficient. Sufficient. So what if your words aren't eloquent? My encouragement to you is let them be gracious. So what if your words aren't perfect? Just let them be seasoned with salt. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to do anything spiritually. Remember, we can do nothing apart from Christ. We are to be faithful and obedient and trust his work. But we have to snatch up our time to do so. I wanna end with a challenge today as a way to start this process. But I would encourage you to take some of those, those keys to faithfulness, even as you leave, to talk about them in your own home and say, how can we implement these things because we want to be faithful? But here's a very specific challenge. As you walk out the doors today, whether it's this door or that door or that door, you're gonna see a little basket that has a little card in it. And this little card is meant to be folded up and set on your desk. And it's an initiative that we didn't start, but we're going to jump on board with it. It's called By the Name Initiative. And the goal is that you will prayerfully consider one person in your life that you want to come to know Jesus. Maybe that's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a restaurant worker. Maybe it's someone you see all the time and you just know that they need the Lord. And to pray about that and then write their name on the back of this card, which says, I am praying for, we'll just use Herbert again. By name, asking for God's saving and renewing grace to break into their life. And on the other side, it has the scripture of Ephesians. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And then on the other side, it's just a constant reminder. You put this on your desk. You put it on your microwave. You put it on your refrigerator. And it's a constant reminder to pray and connect and to share the gospel with that person. You can pray for them all day. But shouldn't you also schedule times to connect with them on a one-on-one basis? Shouldn't you also make sure that you're in it, you, you take the initiative to share with them? And I want to tell you, this isn't for people who are 25 and older. This is for every single one of us in this room who calls themselves a believer in Jesus Christ. Because every single one of us in this room who have called Jesus Christ as our Savior have the same purpose and the same goal and the same agenda. And we are to take up the time in our lives, snatch it up, and wield it to that end. Will we be faithful in that, brothers and sisters? I hope so. None of us will do it perfectly. But I hope that we can constantly walk in a way of encouraging one another, engaging in one another. And I would be remiss if I ended our time this morning recognizing that there's not some people in this room that don't know Jesus at all. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna invite you to do something. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't really care to know Jesus, maybe you have a lot of doubts about Jesus, I wanna invite you into something. Two weeks from this week, We are going to actually start just doing a Discovery Bible study after the service. And so here's the thing. If you're here right now and you're an atheist, we want you to come. I would love to hear you. I would love to engage you. I would love to just try to introduce you to Jesus and just walk through some scriptures. And listen, the goal is not to convert you but to get to know you and to love you and give you an opportunity to see Jesus' face. You're an atheist, you're a Hindu, you're a Muslim, you're, you're somebody who kind of believes but doesn't really believe, like this is perfect for you. It's just going through the word of God and saying like, hey, what do you think about this? And you can tell me what you think. But I'm going to lead one of these classes, me and Lewis are going to partner with that and we're going to lead one of these classes starting, I think it's on June 19th, after the service. So maybe you know somebody in your life that you'd like to invite to that. But I want you to be considering right now whether that would be a space for you to just come and maybe get some of your questions answered just for a few weeks. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to challenge you right now to to bow your head, close your eyes. I want to turn our attention at this time. I want to turn our attention to a time of communion. And if you didn't pick up the communion elements on your way in, go ahead and raise your hand. And I know that there's going to be some distraction with people running around the room bringing these to you, but I want to take a moment with Ryan just playing and I want you to just ponder this one question. Based on what we have talked about today, could you argue or could you even contend that you are m- making the best use of your time right now. Are you walking wisely in accordance with the goals and agendas of the one you call king, the one you call Lord, the one I call king, and the one I call Lord? I wanna give you an opportunity to truly answer that question and examine your heart right now. And if the answer is no, brother and sister, hear the command that Paul is giving to us, confess it. Just be honest and be like, Lord, I, I haven't done it because I've been too busy. I haven't prioritized my time. I haven't, I haven't, I've been too fearful. Whatever it is it's keeping. just confess that to the Lord. Just go to him. I just want to give you a couple moments to do that. And if you don't know Jesus at this time, I, I would just encourage you, maybe just pray that he would reveal himself to you. Just, maybe you don't believe in God at all. You know what? Tell him that. And say, show yourself to me. Just ask him. See what he does. I believe that he'll move if you genuinely want to seek him. So just take a couple of moments of silence and just go before the Lord.